This is Adrian Cowan from Seven Spires. I'm Corey Hoffing from Crimson Shadows. Hi, this is Ida from Trisphere. What's up, folks? This is Matt Barlow from Ashes of Ares. This is Taylor Washington from Paladin, and you're listening to the Great Metal Debate Podcast. Metal fans, the podcast is back with another amazing metal artist interview. Today I'm joined by James Delbridge of Canadian power metalers like Andro. James, thanks so much for coming on the Great Metal Debate. Oh, thanks so much for having me, man. It's uh, really great to be here. Before we get deep into the music and new album, which I definitely want to do, maybe we could back up and you could tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you come to be a musician? And also, did you grow up in a musical household? Oh boy. Um, well, I didn't actually grow up in a musical household. Um, that's actually one of the things that my family find hilarious is that I'm the only on both my mom and my dad's side. I'm like the only serious musician. Like there are people on both sides who kind of like played instruments as like a hobby and they never really went, did anything with it. But so that's one people in my family found it surprising when I decided to do this. Like this is what I want to do with my life. But um, how I wanted to be a musician was I remember it was very early in my life, actually. I must have been like six years old or something. And I remember and I, wow. yeah, I remember I was in my room. I think it was like probably playing like Pokemon or something. And my dad calls me downstairs. He goes, hey, I want to show you something. And he put on the Queen Live at Wembley Stadium DVD. And I was absolutely mesmerized by that. I watched the whole thing. And I saw Freddie Mercury and I saw Brian May and I thought, I want to be a singer and I want to be a guitar player. And so I kind of thought, you know, why not both? But uh, guitar was my first thing. I started playing guitar when I was seven. Actually, I got my very first starter guitar when I was only seven years old. And I didn't start singing seriously until high school because in my very first band, it was like my very first high school band before uh, Lycanthro, we were called Death Wish. (laughs) <laughs> very, uh, you know, very, very typical, like, oh, man, this name is so cool, you know? <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, but what happened was, was, um, no, we didn't have a singer. And I kind of thought, well, this could be, I'm a bit older now, so this could be a good opportunity for me to be a singer. And for the first little while, I was awful. <laughs> but uh, I think it's, um, that's kind of what I've been focusing more on recently, actually, just because that's something I want to, Kind of, I, I find that like guitar, as much as I love playing guitar, it's one of those instruments that like guitar players are the most common, I think, and it's very easy to to it's very hard to make yourself stand out as a guitar player nowadays, especially when you have all these other bands, you know, like Animals as Leaders and Dream Theater and all that, who are just playing this insane stuff. So I, I, I yeah, <laughs> I found that um, if I worked on vocals, especially with the kind of vocals I do, like clean vocals, which in this day and age, like maybe in power metal, obviously there's clean, but in the grander scope of things, clean vocals aren't as common as they were. I go a step beyond that. There's some metal fans these days; they don't even listen to bands with clean vocals. Like it that that that. Yeah, I don't get it. You know, I don't get it. Like it's um, it's just such it's such an 
like here's the thing. I don't get me wrong. I like some rough vocals. Like, like I love some vocalists. Like Ishan from Emperor is great, and uh, I really like um, crap. Who was the other one? Uh, like Chuck Schuldner and all that. Like those guys. But at the same time, like in my opinion, it's one of those things where, yeah, I I just don't get it. I I think like the essence of metal originally was you know the clean virtue virtuosic i hope i said that right uh vocals from people like you know you know like rob halford and judas and uh bruce dickinson you know so and beyond that you have a number of mostly female operatic singers who are taking the high vocals to extreme heights like you've got super crystal clean vocals amazing sweet voices it strikes me as interesting how that's metal and yet you have a another subgroup of metal fans who all they hear is the rasping and uh, the growls. So it's, it's interesting that that's what you gravitated to. I'm very interested. Yeah, I guess it's just because that's what I grew up on because aside from queen, uh, my first sort of metal bands that I got into were my, my uncle, my, my whole dad's side of the family is all British and my uncle was a metalhead back in the 70s. And pretty much any 70s band you can name, he's probably seen them. Like, he saw Black Sabbath in their prime with Ozzy. He saw Rainbow with Dio on the tour, on the Rainbow Rising tour, like when that first first came out. Uh, Deep Purple with Ian Gillen. He saw, like, all the all those bands. And I remember the ones that I gravitated towards were the ones he showed me. Like, um, Priest was obviously one of them. But the other ones were like Rainbow, UFO was another big one for me early on, and um, oh, Thin Lizzy. Thin Lizzy was my uncle's favorite band. And out of those four, they're probably my least favorite, but I still love them. So that's kind of why I kind of gravitated towards doing this style of music, because it was um, an extension of what I grew up with, you know? So you're really pulling your influence back not just to the 80s, but I, even back to the 70s, those original hard rock and, and, and the genesis of heavy metal bands. Yeah, it's a little bit. Like, I don't really hear it in a lot of our songs, personally, but I think, um, but I definitely think that um, some people have told me that. Like, I know I on our new album, we have the second track is called Fallen Angels Prayer. And I had a friend and a guy who I know from another, uh, from another, website who runs a a blog called epic metal blog out of germany he messaged me the the other day because he was listening to like the pre-release uh album that like the press get and he uh said hey man uh are you a fan of meatloaf by any chance and i said yeah a little bit i like meatloaf and he goes your second song like that little last bit at the end was very very meatloaf you know so there is so there's definitely (laughs) a little bit of 70s influence in there just because again because it's what i grew up with you talked about your first band death wish tell us just in a nutshell you know how did the idea for the band lycanthro originate and how did that come to be oh great question because there is there is a story behind this and it's one of my favorite stories to tell so uh so death wish was my my band when we when i was in high school i had we were a bunch of you know young kids who we were just excited to be in a band together and we didn't really think anything out. And I didn't realize that we found later on that none of us even were into the same genres at all. Like we played, we weren't really power metal. We played like more like thrash metal. 
because that was kind of the one genre that we all kind of all collectively liked. But I was, as you know, I was more of the old school metal, power metal, melodic metal person. Our guitar, old guitar player was very much into like, you know, the Pantera, Machine Head, kind of that kind of like bro metal stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. And our drummer was very yes. much into like metalcore and deathcore. And so it was like one of those, and our old bass player was again, more into like the alternatives in alternatively stuff like rise against and all that stuff. So we naturally, you know, lots of personality clashes and we broke up as all high school bands do. But when I decided to get serious about it and I formed the lineup that would become Lycanthro, we still had the name Death Wish for about for the first few months of when we were a band. We played maybe one or two shows under the name Death Wish. And um, I remember the the how Lycanthro came to be was I was in college at the time and I remember uh, there the there was a bus stop. There was um, between my house and where the college is here in Ottawa. There's um, my mom would drive me to this strip mall that we have here that um, that is the main bus station from where I live in Ottawa to the that goes pretty much anywhere. So it goes like to the college. So if I had to wait a while for the bus, I would go inside and I'd go because there was a record store in this uh, in this strip mall. So if I'm like, oh, bus not here for another half an hour, I'll I'll go and I'll take a look. And I remember one day I was flipping through the metal section, and I find this record. It was called the name of the record was called At the Edge of Damnation, and I looked and it was a British band, and the name of that band was Death Wish. <laughs> so <laughs> I, what happened was I immediately bought it. <laughs> I immediately bought it, and then I called up the guys and I said, hey guys, um, so. I found this album in an Ottawa record store. We need to change the name because I looked up this band Death Wish and they were they've been broken up for years. Like this record was like one of those like really obscure reissues. Uh, yeah, yep. no, but still, yep. I'm like, we, I found this in an Ottawa record store, so I said, oh, we have to change the name. And we, for a while, was like trying to figure out what the name would be, and. I wanted it to have something to do with wolves or werewolves because I have a very big affinity for wolves. And uh, a lot of the bands that I knew at the time were doing sort of like the like the vampire or not not necessarily the vampire, but like, you know, like the the night wishy kind of like very elegant like, oh, like we're we're we're, a little more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're more like, oh, we're sinister, yet we're dressed very nice, you you know, which I love. It's cool. But I thought, why not do the same thing? But but to the opposite, why not do uh, werewolves? And I don't mean in the sense of like, you know, power wolf or anything like that. I mean, like werewolves as in we're (laughs) a power metal band, but we're still heavy. You know what I mean? So you all released your first EP back in 2018 for Horsemen of the Apocalypse. What did that do for the band to release that material um it it went it went really well for what uh for what we had available to us at the time because for horseman the apocalypse it's um it was it's actually a very loose concept album almost and it's not even really an album it's more of like an it's an ep it's only four songs but um the whole idea was our old guitar player's idea where he said oh you know i thought it'd be cool if we had an ep where Every song, there was four songs, and each one was based off each horseman. And I took that idea, 
And I said, okay, well, we'll um, change up the names just so – because I find names like that really boring. Like, you know, war, death, you know, I'm just like, oh, it's just really bo- – wow. so I kind of screwed around with the names of the songs and I wrote lyrics each to each song. And I went so, so far as to look at like the Bible verses for like what these things are like uh, described in. Yeah, wow. and um, – and when it came out, and we had a guest vocalist on one of the songs. We had, uh, we were friends with, I haven't heard from him in a long time, but we, uh, we were friends with, uh, the old Exciter singer, uh, Jacques Belanger. And we asked him, and we're like, hey, he's someone who's relatively, like, famous. Let's have him, have him, have him on a track. And we did. And the, and the EP was pretty well received on its own, but the thing about it was at the time, I didn't know what, like, a PR agency was. I didn't know, like, the proper way to promote yourself. So, all in all, it went, it did really well, again, with the limitations we had at the time. Like, I remember I, instead of having a PR person do it for you, I had to, like, sort of pitch it to all these different websites to, like, review it or talk about it or whatever, and you know, a lot of these sites won't even listen to you if you're from the band. They're like, no, you have to have a PR person do it or whatever. And yeah, so, but all things considered, it went well because that's how we got our label deal because uh, some dude in Greece heard it and said, hey, uh, I he messaged us one day and said, hey, I have a label here in Greece who we specialize in like old school metal, power metal, you know, melodic metal. Would you want to uh do a contract to uh release this ep physically and usually kind of my 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 sixth sense was like okay this could be a scam because you know random person facebook messages us and but i did a background check on him and i said okay well send us the contract he sends us the contract and we send it to we give it to some friends of ours that like worked in in labels and some people, I think our old guitar player's mom was a legal person and they all said to us like, no, this is not only is this legit, but this is like a really good deal. Like for a band your size, this is like the best deal you're going to get. So just uh, remember listeners, if you're in a band, uh, if you get a Facebook DM to be on a label, it's still a red flag. So do your homework before, before doing anything, I just want to say that right now we got lucky, but you know, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no. So overall, it it definitely, even though the the EP itself wasn't as widely heard as we would have liked, because again of the limitations we had, um, it definitely opened doors for us for sure. You mentioned a couple of times your hometown of Ottawa. How did you all develop your reputation there, and what is the scene like in that community as far as metal and 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 hard rock? Um, in terms of our reputation, uh, it was kind of like it. I think it was mainly because we're the band who, because the thing here in Ottawa is that we, it's a very tight knit community here. Like all the bands, we're all good, we're all friends, even though a lot of us aren't the same genres at all, because. I think we are only one of two power metal bands in Ottawa. And even then the other one is our friends band Scepter. And we don't sound anything like them. You know, they're more like new Wobbum uh, influence. They're more like a, like a cloven hoof than us, which is more of like a, 
like yeah. a like a persuader or a blind guardian or something you know, or or a right, savage circus right. you know what i mean so but um <clears throat> but anyways uh we got our reputation i think mainly just because we always had the privilege here of opening big shows because our local promoter here her name's Christina Casper she runs a company called Core Productions and all of the big metal bands who come here she most of the time gets them and so we've been very fortunate that we are have a really good relationship with her she's a good friend of ours and whenever we have a uh, a big band come through and it's usually a band that a lot of people will go see anyways we always would get to open for them like we got to op- we got to open for um diamond head and uh hammerfall and beast in black not no not beast in black battle beast and um Unleash the Archers. These are all shows that they're big enough bands that they sold out the venue, you know, as it is. And, but also, but also, I think it was like a combination of that as well as, you know, we always try to like make friends and have lots of good relationships with people in the local community. Because as I said, um, here in Ottawa, we're all friends. And one thing that I'm thankful for is that there isn't really a lot of, ego or band rivalries or drama and when there is because there has been in the past and when there is usually it gets resolved pretty quickly you know so like i know that like again i won't mention any names but there's been lots of band there's been a few bands in ottawa who are newer who they like kind of had really bad attitudes and they kind of just you know no one would book them and then they broke up and stuff like that so like i find like a lot of those problems here get solved really quickly so yeah, the Ottawa scene is really good. We get um and as I said, it's kind of cool to be able to be in like a city with a smaller scene because when a big band does come through, you know, the local bands get more opportunities to um uh to get their names out there. Like as I said, there's been many times when I've been talking to bands from other cities in or in other countries and they'll say to me, "Oh, you guys open for Hammerfall? You guys open for Battle Beast and Leash the Archers? That's sick." Or Udo Dirk Schneider, you know, and and I say the same thing. I'm like, yeah, well, it's because, you know, there isn't a lot of bands here in that genre. So we always can uh, the promoter can always rely on us to uh, to put in the work and uh, and deliver a good show. So you get to open for those bands. That's a good place to be for a young band who's trying to develop their fan base. So let's go ahead and talk about the new debut full length album from Lycanthro entitled Mark of the Wolf, due out, as you said, June 4th uh, from Alone Records. I've had a chance to listen to it, eight metal tracks, and I'm really impressed by it. Tell me a little bit about the material in this album, how long it's been the works. I know it's kind of a a mixed bag as far as the content. Well, first of all, thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. And, um, yeah, no, the the album is definitely a mixed bag because the in terms of the the style, because – some of these songs were songs that are really old, like back from when we first first started. Uh, three of the tracks on the album, which is um, the the first single that's out right now, Crucible, and um, and also along with Ride the Dragon and Into Oblivion, those were songs that were on our original demo when we first started. And on when we did the demo everyone kept telling us the same thing where he said, Hey, these songs are great, but the production was crap. So you have to do this song (laughs) and it was crap. So we had to do these songs in a 
these are songs that deserve good production. I think it delivered very well on this album. And in terms of the other songs, um, you know, there are some songs in here that we had always, you know, intended for the first album, like live staples. Like we had the song in Metal We Trust, which was I wrote kind of sort of as like a sing along song because we, we kind of the whole kind of aim behind that one was, oh, we need a song for crowd interaction, you know. So we would always yeah. have in nope. the middle of the song, we'd always have the crowd go doing the whole call response thing. And they always loved it, you know. And then there's. The one that gets the fist Yeah, pumping. yeah, for sure. And then there's also songs like um, Enchantress and Fallen Angel's Prayer, which are definitely more of the oddball songs on the album. Like, those are songs that are sort of um, – they stray away from, like, what the rest of the album is musically. And that's just because, again, I'm someone that I don't believe in writing the same song twice. And Fallen Angel's Prayer, for example, I wanted it to be, like, this big production-y song – that has like piano and and all this stuff and it wanted to be very kind of Camelot-y kind of sounding and for that song we actually had a real choir in you mentioned that track Enchantress man that's one of my faves it it's kind of has a little bit of an eerie start and it lays out like a nice atmosphere and and then you guys rock out to it but I really like that atmosphere that you create there one of the things I like about the album Throughout it, you guys utilize melody in the music very well. How important is that as a songwriter, like that melody portion, particularly in power metal? Probably the most important thing, actually, because one thing that, because um, a lot of times the melody of the song is what, it's nine times out of ten, it's what makes it memorable. You know, a lot of people from different genres will say, no, the riff, but it's like, no, it's the melody, you know. The melody is the most important thing in a song, in my opinion, because that's what's going to, that's what you're going to hum, still be humming when you're walking down the street in a week's time, you know? So that's, uh, I think whenever someone is writing a song, that should be the first thing that they they uh, take into consideration. Or if not, like if you start off with like a guitar riff or something, the first thing you should think of is, okay, what's going to be the melody for this song to complement this riff? You know what I mean? James, maybe my favorite track on the album is, I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, Evangelion. Evangelion. No, I'm not pronouncing it correctly. <laughs> Evangelion. That's an awesome piano intro, and then that kicks into a, a steady killer main riff, and the chorus is awesome. What What was the inspiration for that one? Oh, man. Um, so I'm glad you brought that one up, because that one, again, is another song that has a story. So Evangelion was – so I'm a huge nerd, and I love, um, you know – I love stuff like anime and all that. So Evangelion is based off the anime Neon Genesis Evangelion. It's probably my favorite show of all time. And when I watched it, I knew I wanted to write something based on it because it's one of those shows I'd never seen anything like it before. Like the way the story and the characters are portrayed and the way the events play out. It's it's nothing like, you know, like you would never be able to get away with something like that in the West, you know. And it's something that, like, and I don't mean that, like, in a dirty way. I mean that in, like, sort of, like, you know, it's not conventional storytelling. And I first watched it when I was in high school, and I was like, holy shit, you know, this song is, uh, this show is making me feel things I've never felt before. So I thought I knew I had to write a song about it. And that song, I find it really interesting that people 
have told me so far that most people who I've talked to who have heard the album say that that's their favorite song. Between that and Crucible, the, the opening song. Wow. And to me, that was really surprising when I first heard it, but I can see it now because that song was probably the most difficult song on the album because, especially for me, because that song, I had to redo the vocals at home because what happened with that was we, all the instrumentals we recorded at an actual studio, but uh, my vocals at the time, I didn't know this, but I had a throat problem actually. Like I couldn't sing my usual range and I found out late. Yeah, it it really sucked for like most of 2019. I couldn't really sing properly. So when I did these songs in the, in the studio, uh, a lot of them turned out really bad. Like, I'm just like, cause when we got the, the mixes back, I'm like, man, these vocals sound terrible. So by this time my voice had recovered. So I decided, okay, well, you know, we're in a pandemic, so I'll re-record some of them, but from home. And I bought this mic, this one that I'm using right now, the SM7B, and I've already had a decent interface from when I was in recording school. So I thought, and I have Pro Tools on my computer, so I'm like, okay, I'll just re-record the the vocals here. And Evangelion was the hardest song because it took me so freaking long to to do it because like figuring out the proper melodies and the harmonies was was a huge challenge. It was really, and also for me vocally with um some of the vocal peaks and valleys in the song it's uh and i remember towards the end when i almost finished it i hated the song because i had done it so much yeah (laughs) no i literally would i would literally be in my room and be pissed off and saying fuck i'm never playing this song again live i'm never singing it again fuck this song blah 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 because but when it was finished uh and it was mixed and mastered I listened to it again and I thought, okay, you know, this turned out a lot better than I was expecting. And then one, as you mentioned, whenever someone heard like someone who's like doing an interview or just someone who I sent it to, uh, just to get their thoughts on it, they all told me that's their favorite song. And I was really surprised by that, but I've kind of, kind of rolled with it. And now I've kind of garnered this appreciation for it because I'm like, you know what? This song was, the most difficult song to do for me vocally, but it was worth the, the hassle, not hassle. It was worth the, the effort, you know? And now that you tell the story, I almost feel like I could, I can, in listening to the song, somewhat feel the struggle and, and the challenge that it was to you like that, that spirit kind of comes through in your vocal approach to it. Again, it's, it is my favorite song off the album so far. Thanks man. um, It's awesome. I know you may not want to give too much away, which is cool, but you have teased that there's a video coming. What can you tell us about that, uh, and what do fans have to look forward to? Well, um, I won't say which song yet, but it's a, it's actually a vocal kind of, it's, it's sort of like a mixture of a playthrough video and a lyric video, because I'm cool. someone that personally, for me, I've never been a big fan of just pure lyric videos. Like I know a lot of people like them, pers- but I'm I always want something more from that. And I've always been a fan of um the videos where it's a lyric video, but you still see the band as well, or you see at least one of the members. Like um, and I kind of got the idea from there was uh, one of the music videos that Beast in Black did for their first album was they did it for their song Born Again. 
and it was the yes. and it was the video of their singer Yanis singing the song and the lyrics kind of appearing next to him and because of the covid limitations over here because you know we can't really do anything really big production at the moment and i kind of knew that okay i need to get some sort of visual content out very soon before the album comes out because all we had is that little single video that we did for crucible and i thought we're gonna shoot a proper music video soon but i thought i need something now that is that's visual that i can put out and so it's gonna be one of those it's gonna be one a vocal playthrough mixed with a lyric video that's awesome and i love that border kin video yeah so, exactly that, that uh, so exactly that's why i was like man see this is like if you're gonna do a lyric video do this you know so listening to this whole album, you know, I it reminds me, games, that stylistically, my interest in music has moved in a lot of other directions. But 25, 30 years ago, when I was much younger, I was the biggest Judas Priest fan on the planet. I like, I literally worship that band. And you guys obviously owe a lot of your sound to like Priest, Halloween, and other, I think you used the term classic metal before. You're not limited to that, but you certainly incorporate a lot of that feel. What do you think it is about that sound that has such a lasting appeal? Um, well, I think it's because it's, um, I think it's also like, it's both, it's its simplicity and complexity at the same time. Does that make sense? It's, it's the same Absolutely. reason why people, it's the same reason why people gravitate towards classic rock these days. Like, that's why you, this day we'll still hear journey or Boston songs on the radio because that style I find is a style that sure. It's not the most, you know, technical style of metal, but at the same time, it's the most that it's the style that the most people will enjoy and will continue to enjoy because, you know, like there's lots of metal heads who, maybe won't couldn't really get into anything like uh like black metal or folk metal just because of how outlandish they can be but i find and, and not, <laughs> i would say awesome no, but yeah no you're right i love it's amazing but i love that stuff but like i'm saying yeah. is that like old school metal i find is the most like yeah. accessible you know anybody most people will listen to it and again same thing with classic rock most people will listen yeah. to it and the melodies are for that genre are meant to be very catchy, very memorable, very, uh, and the riffs and the song structure and the songwriting. And yeah. And as you just said, in my formative years, I was the biggest Judas Priest fan as well. Like I remember hearing, uh, sorry, not hearing. I remember like going to school wearing a Judas Priest shirt and a leather jacket and sunglasses and, Everybody kind of thought it was like I it, I got made fun of for a little bit, but the fact that I the fact that I kept doing it, people kind of realized, oh, he, this isn't just a phase, you know. So people kind of respected it after a while. So I feel like you and I are kindred spirits because I looked and dressed exactly like that for many mm -hmm. years. So uh, yeah, I don't I don't think I can quite pull it off anymore, but. Uh... My, with my beard now, I, I'm starting to look like older Rob Halford. So. <laughs> so, man, starting to wrap up with you, I would be remiss in this interview if I didn't highlight that you yourself are one hell of an interviewer. Tell us how you got started talking to other metal artists. Yeah, yeah, no, and I have to say thanks for tuning into those. I see you in the chat all the time. But, uh, 
Yeah, no, I, I, here's the thing with that was that I kind of hesitate to call those interviews because the way I approach it personally is more like a talk show. Like I, it's, I always describe people. It's like the Conan O'Brien of metal pretty much, you know, <laughs> and uh, I love it. It's not what we do. It's very unscripted. It, it's just stream of consciousness. But I, I, I think there's a it's here's what I'll say, James. It is so genuine. Those conversations are incredibly genuine. Yeah, that's what I that's what I try and go for because the the thing I um the thing that I the reason why I started doing it was because again, this is another another story. So for the first six months of the pandemic, uh we didn't do anything. We literally we had two members leave and it was just me and our drummer Panos, and we spent six months trying to look for new members, which we did in the end. But for those six months, we never posted to social media, never did anything. And it was a very depressing time for me personally at the time as well. And I remember when we got our new guys that we have now, Forrest and Stu, I thought, okay, well, the album's almost done. Uh, I should start posting again. And I remember uh, since I hadn't posted in six months, whenever I posted something uh, – I'm going to start getting into the whole social media analytical part here, but not, not for too long, but it's, it, it, it has, it has meaning to the story is so no one would see it. Cause, cause one thing that a lot of musicians and rightfully so complain about nowadays is the, is the reach that social media has like some of the, like before I used to just use Facebook, our old guitar player used to do the Instagram stuff but then when he quit, he gave me all the – because we used to run all the accounts 50-50. And all the accounts he ran, he gave it to me. And now I run all of them. <laughs> and uh, so I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to have to learn Instagram. And I started posting again regularly, and it was a very uphill battle because with the with the Facebook algorithm because, as I said, we hadn't posted in a long time, so it wasn't showing our posts to, any, to anybody. So I decided, okay, well, I should start learning Instagram. And I started learning Instagram, and I got relatively better and better at it. And I remember at the, I remember right after we got our new members, uh, I have a friend of mine who lives in Montreal. Her name's Gaia Gorda, and she's from a a symphonic metal band from there called Uriel. And she yes. started doing the same thing that I'm doing now. She started doing these live stream chats with different people, and it was different musicians that she was friends with that she knew and she asked me to be on it and i said yeah absolutely and i remember when i did it it was a lot of fun and i remember thinking that was one of the definitely one of the things that kind of brought me out of the kind of musical social depression i was in at the time because like man this is really fun and this is genuine and it's been a long time since i've been able to talk to somebody about music and all that stuff so I, th I asked her, I said, hey, can I do the same thing on our channel, on our page? And she said, yeah, of course. And I kind of figured because we would be getting like the kind of guests I get and the kind of guests she gets are way different, you know, because her genre, even though she's in a symphonic metal band, her like main thing, her solo stuff is like not even metal at all. It's more like like electronic music almost. Right. But but I thought, OK. So I did the same thing that she did for the first little while and just got people who I knew. But then I got such a good reception that I thought, you know what? I'm going to start asking people who I don't know, who I just like their music a lot and kind of have these 
genuine conversations and have these meaningful things that I want to ask them and tell them and get them to relay to the viewers and all that. And, and so far it's been great. It just occurred to me that I think part of what appeals to me when I watch your videos is what you're playing out are the sorts of conversations that I'm used to engaging in or, or listening to at shows at metal shows, but we haven't been able to have those conversations for a full year. But you're sharing those conversations with everyone live on Instagram, and it's awesome. Yeah, that's you. You hit the nail on the head there, man. That's literally the whole point of it. Was my favorite thing aside from playing live was at the shows talking to people, and not only just the fans, but also like the other bands and all that stuff. And one thing that I always had always wanted to do, and I find that this is actually a better medium for this than than shows because you know you have more time is that whenever we opened for a big band, I'd always want to be able to talk with one of the members and kind of pick their brain. You know what I mean? And usually it shows, you know, you have other things you have to worry about. So I kind of use this as an opportunity to talk to people who, not only people I know, but people who I look up to and admire, and I want to get to know them as people and um, establish a, a relationship with them. And... Yeah, and just ask them things that I legitimately want to know or want to learn for myself. And, um, yeah, and I've gotten to talk to a lot of, of my, uh, some of the, some of my heroes on the show, some people I look up to, like, as I, like, I had Adrian Cowan from Seven Spires on, and that was probably, she's awesome. Oh, dude, uh, she, the reason why she came on is because she's actually, like, Seven Spires are, like, colleagues of ours. They're, like, fr- they're, like, they're, like, fr- they're good, they're friends of ours. And they're we they've come to Ottawa twice and we've opened for them both times. That's how I got to know them. So I kind of asked her to uh, to be on, and I was really ecstatic that she was able to come on because she's someone I look up to immensely as a vocalist. And and that episode is still to, I think the most successful one we did. So. Uh, yeah, no, like her, I got to talk to Noah Grumman from Scardust, and... Uh, oh, wow, that's another great Oh, band. yeah. See, that one actually came about because they did a um, a singing contest, and which I won, actually. They got their fans to do a cover of one of their new songs, and I did it, and I was, and I won. And I won, like, I think, like, a t-shirt. I won a free t-shirt or something. But I used that to get in touch with her and say, hey, I do this show, and I'm a big fan of your singing. Would you want to be on it? You know, so, and there's even some people who I've gotten who, uh, I won't spoil here, but like, there's definitely some really big names, uh, coming up as well. So it's worth checking out. I'll, I'll tell everyone awesome interviews again, different than what we do here, but it's so, it really does feel like the conversations you'd have at a metal show and it's just so well done. Absolutely, man. Well, going forward. Mark of the Wolf should be released next month. After that, what are the band's plans? Do you all have any ideas about, and I know things are going slow and not everything is certain with regard to COVID, but any thoughts about potentially a album release show or what, what are the band's plans in general for the remainder of 2021? Um, well, a few things. Uh, so with our new lineup, uh, we actually wrote a whole new, uh, EP during the during the quarantine so we're gonna release we're gonna record that's the next thing we're gonna record is that we're actually in the 
doing pre-production for that right now as we speak. And um, yes, it's going to, we have like five tracks, well, four and a cover. And it's pretty much just going to be a way to introduce uh, everyone to the new lineup before we do, before album number two. Because this album, if people don't know, is actually, is actually still the old lineup. It's still the old lineup, and I'm the only one in the band who's still in it. Our new guitar player added a few, like, solos to Mark of the Wolf. But Mark of the Wolf was is kind of like the send-off of the old lineup, pretty much. Because these were all the songs that we used to play live all the time. And I kind of figure that with this new lineup and with these new songs, because they're very different from what we have have before, it'll be kind of the next chapter, the next step musically uh, as a band for us. So we're doing that. And uh, in terms of shows, uh, we actually got, we confirmed our first actual show today uh, back, which um, even though it was a show we were technically already on, we uh, confirmed it again anyways, was we were going on our very first festival show, which is uh, at Hyperspace, Hyperspace Festival in Vancouver. And it's like, it's sort of like the, imagine it's like the Canadian prog power pretty much. Yep. And it's it's really and yep. it's really cool. And we were supposed to play it in 2020. We were actually booked a tour from here to Ottawa to Vancouver, which is again the other side of the country, and back. And it was gonna be a two and a half week tour. And but again, for obvious reasons, that never happened. But we're definitely gonna be going back there, and we're definitely going to uh, do that tour because there was lots of cities and that we were excited to play that never happened. So that's the other big plan is to. Um, is to kind of get the ball rolling for that, uh, for that tour. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And other than that, um, we probably will do an album release show, uh, here in Ottawa. Uh, one thing that I, I, depending on, on the restrictions and depending on the timeline, sure. Uh, we're, we might even do like a joint release show in terms of like this album and the next EP. Because oh, wow. it's it's a maybe because it's a yeah. maybe because uh, here in Ontario, uh, not to get not to end this, not to do like be sad or anything like that. But uh, we probably have the like the slowest uh, kind of we have the slowest vaccine rollout in probably all of North America. And so it's unfortunate. It's a really unfortunate. But uh with the way things are going now, I'm convinced that we're going to be like the last place in North America to open up again, just because of how slow everything is here. Sure. But, um, but yeah, no, we probably will do an album release show just to, you know, get the ball rolling again. So, yeah. Exciting things coming. Fans look for a lot more content from Lycanthro and some live dates as well. Like, keep following them on Instagram, Facebook. Finally, James, what is the best way for fans to purchase music and merchandise from Lycanthro, including the soon-to-be-released album, Mark of the Wolf? All right, yeah, well, we're, um, we have a big cartel page. It's uh, lycanthromerch.bigcartel.com. Uh, that's where you can pre-order the physical album uh, and also a bunch of other merch. We're actually putting more merch in there this week. We have some new T-shirt designs and a few other things. So uh, if you want to support us, do it there. If you're more of a digital person, Bandcamp uh, is always you can't go wrong with that. Um, and also, uh, please stream our music and follow us on Spotify because that's you know nowadays that's really important. So so if you like what you hear, then 
Uh, please follow us on Spotify as well. And uh, yeah, and also we are currently at 18% of our pre-sale goal. So if you are even remotely interested, then head on over to lycanthromerch.bigcartel.com and uh, pick up the album. And those pre-sales, that does so much for the band. So I really encourage fans to hit that up. I've had a chance to listen to a digital version of the album. I- I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. This is great metal. This is classic metal, but with a modern flair as well. Check them out with Hanthro, Mark of the Wolf, out June 4th. James, thanks so much for joining us on the Great Metal Debate. Oh, thank you so much for having me, man. This was a lot of fun, and I'm really happy that uh, you had me on here, man. Yeah.